Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's bi-weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, uh, recorded at various locations around metropolitan New York. I'm Calvin Reed, uh, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. Check us out at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am also co-editor of PW Comics World, as well as the graphic novels review editor for Publishers Weekly and the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. Okay, well, well this, this is the, the item list for this today's uh, podcast is going to be very short. It's Comics at Comic-Con. So uh, let's get right to it. Uh, we just got back. Heidi was there. I was there. What was the mood of the show? Yeah, well, the mood of the show was exhaustion. Uh, I, at least as far as I'm concerned. You know, it's funny you say we're wrapping it up. I mean, it's been over a week, and yet I still keep having post-traumatic stress disorder flashbacks to, you know, walking down the halls or whatever. It was its usual crazy, chaotic, insane, wonderful, maddening, beautiful now, thing. The edit. We, we're, we, <laughs> our Comic-Con coverage isn't over, folks, uh, but you can find it at publisherswiki.com slash comics. Yes, that's right. We had bl- plenty of coverage at the show, heroically, uh, you know, uh, writing about it in the midst of it. Um, but, you know, were there comics at Comic-Con? Yes, of, of course there were. And uh, there's quite a quite a few, I mean, notable people were there, uh, wonderful creators, uh, publishers were debuting books, and, you know, business as usual, uh, comics were going on. Um, I mean, it still was a little bit hard to uh, focus on sometimes some of the comics news, because it is just such a it, it's just such a whirlwind, and I, I feel like this year uh, I was very, I personally was kind of uh, overloaded with panels. I had four panels on Thursday and two on Sunday, and and so on, on those days it's kind of hard just, you know, you just try to get from one room to the other, literally, and, uh, you know, get your thoughts together for it. So I didn't leave too much time for uh, for other events, uh, so to speak. I, I didn't actually go to any panels that weren't my panels. Well, I did go to the Will Eisner panel, which, Calvin, you were at as well. Um, was, yeah, six panels, but understandable. But still in all, you still managed to, to get around to, um, uh, to some of the events around the show. Uh, yes, well, yeah, I did. I went to the Eisners. Um, you know, I went to the Eisner panel, as you said, which is an all-star lineup of Jeff Smith, Neil Gaiman, um, Dennis Kitchen and Scott McCloud and uh, Paul Lovitz uh, talking about the legacy of Will Eisner, uh, which is kind of a nice um, comics comics focused centerpiece, I think, for the show, having some great creators like that. Um, I also attended the retailer uh, programming on Friday, which consisted, I missed the first session, uh, which in, included bagels, sadly, but I was at the State of the Industry panel and there was a lunch uh, for uh, publishers where they announced all their news. And, I mean, there wasn't too much. At the at the panel, uh, DC, Marvel, IDW, and Dark Horse, and uh, Rebellion, uh, not Rebellion, now Titan Books all had uh, presentations. And Titan Books went on and on and on. They showed uh, trailers for, like, 20 different books, and a lot of people fell asleep during that. Uh, sorry, guys, at Titan. Uh, it was a very, very, very long lunch and nothing too earth-shattering was announced at <laughs> just to put it in perspective. We'll have to work on that, yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, I think Marvel and DC, news-wise, were pretty subdued at this show. DC had announced some stuff beforehand. Uh, Marvel had some pretty 
minor announcements, a, a new Wolverine origin sequel. Uh, I don't know how you can have a sequel to an origin. It seems to me that's not an origin. Well, but... well I guess it's, it's even more origin. <laughs> oh, um, okay. It's, it's like between then and now. Okay, so young Wolverine. Okay. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. The importance of being Wolverine. <laughs> I'm, now, uh, I'm now envisioning Wolverine as written by Oscar Wilde, and my brain is broken. <laughs> Uh, well, Kate, did you see, you had a better view because you weren't there. I mean, was there any comics news that came out of it that really made you sit up and go, wow, that's sensational? Well, um, normally the things that really, well, the things that would have made me sit up and go, that's sensational, all came out at Image Expo. Right. So, you know, the things that made me go, hot damn, um, were in fact not a Comic-Con. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I was very interested, I guess it's, it's sort of comics related, things that like struck me were that they gave up on the Doom Justice League movie and are doing Batman Superman, which is, you know, that was something that caught the attention. And the fact that they're actually putting some juice behind Vertigo again, which I mean, like they're adding five new books, they're making the first three issues returnable, they're, you know, doing some new Sandman something. Well, that was interesting to me. It wasn't a small announcement. But, well, I think the, the Vertigo thing is an announcement. Yeah. Well, but they for, had announced uh, those books previously, but I, I, you, you, you nailed it there, actually. Uh, some people even said to me that the DC booth seemed to be promoting mostly Vertigo. And there certainly was a big display of Sandman there and a large area for Vertigo. And, and since, you know, just a few months ago. That's a big change. I feel that's a big change. Vertigo franchise that people have been basically predicting its death for months. So they they were really out to kind of show that there's a pulse here, uh, obviously. And having uh, you know uh, um, Neil Gaiman you know returning to Sandman for the first time in years that was a that was something they really wanted to like blare to the to the public. So yeah, yeah. definitely. And I, you, you, the other really 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 important thing about it is that they are making, as Kate mentioned, the first three issues returnable. And that's a very successful strategy for getting retailers to support books and, you know, put more of them on the shelves. And that shows a lot of confidence in the Vertigo line from DC uh, on a on a business level. So, um, you know, this isn't just hot air. I mean, they really are trying to get Vertigo up and up and running again after, uh, you know, after I think it kind of stalled out. Let's put it that way. So also, I mean, there were certainly plenty of announcements coming from. The, the independents, certainly uh, the, those critical inter- independents that we're always paying attention to, Fantagraphics, Drawn and Quarterly, um, <clears throat> Dark Horse and the like, uh, <clears throat> um, uh, probably certainly one of the big books, certainly for our in terms of our coverage is, was uh, Top Shelf's um, uh, graphic bio of uh, Representative John Lewis, the civil rights legend. Um, his book, March 1, um, has been obviously getting a lot of play since Book Expo. But he was on hand again, uh, a lot of fanfare for him. Uh, I missed the panel that he was on, but uh, Jody, a uh, uh, friend of the show and our photographer, uh, was there. Um, there was even a meetup with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, the uh, astrophysicist here at the uh, planetarium in New York. Um, so that was an interesting moment, uh, meet up together. Uh, but really, um, if you go around the, uh, the publishing row, you know, if you go to that 1700, 1800, 1900 aisle at Comic-Con, that seems to become publishing row for uh, uh, the publishers like Fantagraphics and D&Q you find there. So Top Shelf was also uh, showing off Monster on the Hill, this new comic book fantasy by uh, a new guy, uh, Rob Harrell. Looked really good, beautiful drawing. 
Um, let's see. Oh, Did... they had that book by Mark Russell and uh, Shannon Wheeler. Uh, yeah. The name I can't remember, but what a beautiful package that was. Yes, don't let me leave that out. That yeah. was really very humorous and obsessively uh, act, you know, uh, uh, obsessive with accuracy. It comments about every page of the Bible. Not necessarily in the most reverent terms, but it's really hilarious. And it's full of these wry um, New Yorker-like cartoons by Shannon Wheeler. Yeah, and uh, it's called God is Disappointed in You. And uh, I, I think that was uh, the book, the surprise of the show for me, uh, just in terms of how great it looked and the wonderful production and very funny stuff. So, um, you know, I, I, we're really missing out, though, the biggest announcement of the con. I can't believe I forgot about it, but, you know, Monkey Brain had a whole bunch of uh, comics that they announced and a first-year anniversary for the digital-only imprint. And uh, a Avery Fatbottom, Renaissance Fair Detective by Jen Vaughn. I mean, this had to be the announcement of the show. Uh, a, a mystery book set at Ren Fair. Uh, had to be done. <laughs> Jen Vaughn uh, from Fantagraphics, right? I'm sorry? Yes, Jen Marks for Fantagraphics, indeed. So, But she is a longtime cartoonist. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, I mean, all seriousness, aside, uh, you know, kidding aside, I mean, that. Uh, Monkey Brain had some very interesting announcements. Just some creators who have been kind of up and coming for a while, uh, like like Jen and uh, the Timoney brothers. Uh, and I, I think it's... it's and a, a, um Eisner. Uh, that's right. They won an Eisner for a bandette by Paul Tobin and Colleen Coover. And I think it just shows that something I've really been noticing, that there's – it kind of ties it all together, that there's a generation of cartoonists who have been coming of age over the past decade outside the superhero genre, outside the big two, outside corporate comics, and they don't have any aspirations of working uh, on superhero comics – and they have a fan base also. There's uh, a and the industry that's grown up that can support them. Exactly. Fans. Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't think it means there aren't any who are of that generation who want to get into superhero comics, but there's certainly a large bulk who that's just not their thing. And I think that's Sorry. a sign of a healthier comics economy that, you know, there's room for both the people who do indie and superheroes and the people who are just straight up indie. Yeah, but you know, Kate, I, I, it's interesting you say that. Uh, I mean, there are definitely still people who dream of, of working for the big two, but um, I mean, this is a whole topic for another podcast, but whenever I speak at a school, uh, nobody uh, draws in a superhero style. I'm sure there are cartoonists who are drawing in that style, but uh, they certainly don't come to talks that Calvin and I do. <laughs> well, I mean, I, well, that, but also I think people just know that superhero style writing and superhero style art is not what people want from indie. So even if people can do that, that typically is not what they're going to do for their independent book, because that's just, if you can get that from Batman, why would you get it from some book you've never heard of? You have to give something new and different in a book you've never heard of. Well, superhero comics certainly aren't going away, but it's very exciting to see the kinds of things that are, are coming. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I think I mean, I think the whole point is that there is a whole different audience, and I mean, that's what retailers are telling me as well. They're saying that uh, in our recent retail piece by Shannon O'Leary, uh, that she was the retailers were telling her that the new readers who are coming into their stores are not necessarily coming in for Marvel and DC. They might be coming in for Image books, uh, particularly Saga and The Walking Dead. Obviously, those are huge, huge uh, wedges to get people into the store, but. Um, I think you. Know, I mean, obviously, superheroes are still huge, and you know, the movies are still enormous and everything. But, but I, I do kind of know what you're getting at, and I agree. I also think it's much less 
divided and superhero weighted market with new people coming in because right. um, I've after Avengers was big, a lot of people who you know I just knew in passing were like, oh hey, I'll try out a couple Marvel books, and then they'd go to the comic book store. But what they would buy is they'd buy like one Marvel book and then like three Image because right. that was more like the other things they had been interested in the past, even if they right. hadn't read graphic novels. So it was, it's less like a segmented market. It's more, it seems like the new person walking in is as likely to walk out with an image book as they are to walk out with, I don't know, Avengers, whatever. Right. I think it's less brand loyalty and more uh, creator yeah. loyalty. And I mean, just to bring this full circle, I have no doubt in my mind that this is why DC is putting more emphasis on their Vertigo line. Because it is, even though Vertigo is a very strong brand and with a he incredible legacy of great comics behind it, uh, it's also where the creator has a little bit more latitude. And, uh, you know, for people who are creator loyal, it's a place for them to have books. So, um, you know, I think they see which way the wind is blowing. It's to that kind of work. So I think they want to put that forward in a time when, you know, indie style comics are clearly in demand. Yeah. Well, and, and if you just look at the Eisners this year, it's it's very, very indie heavy. Um, yeah. work, much more than usual. And, and in a good way. I mean, all the books I see here on the list, you know, obviously Saga, more Saga, more Saga, yeah, Wrinkle right. in Time. Yeah. Oh, and ha- uh, Hawkeye. I mean, Hawkeye, Hawkeye was, was yeah. from Marvel, which is known as their most indie book, <laughs> indie style book. Yes. Hey, um, let me just run. In fact, I, if I just really quickly run down a couple of indie uh, publishers that were and some of the things. And, you know, MBN was showing off their the uh, final volume of Omaha the Cat Dancer. Reed Waller um, was actually there first time in 20 years uh, doing signings and sketches. Um, uh, Kate Worley, the late Kate Worley, her f- husband, Jim Vance of um, Kings in Disguise fame. Uh, finished the book, so that was kind of a kind of a, an important achievement. You know, the Omaha to Cat Dancer is, is kind of an important comics in uh, terms of its association with the founding of the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. It was also the first story I wrote about comics as a young reporter at Publishers Weekly. Wow. The Lee Frank's um, censorship a- episode over that uh, publishing some say, the issues of um, Omaha to Cat Kitchen. Circle. So I've just dated myself. But uh, they announced a bunch of new licenses. Um, Fantagraphics uh, is doing uh, Peanuts Every Sunday, a collection of remastered color context co- comics, a Tony Million Sock pup- Puppet book. Uh, Joe Sacco is doing fiction. That's coming. Yeah. And uh, DNQ is doing a, a collected versions of Aya, uh, the, um, uh, the the book set in uh, in West Africa. So anyway, oh oh, and in a big historical work by Shigeru Mizuki uh, at D&Q called Showa, A History of Japan, 1926 to 1935. Oh, yeah, definitely looking forward to that. So, um, you, know, you, you know, it's it, it, comics were great at Comic-Con. I, I mean, even if uh, it seems like they say, play second fiddle to the media circus, uh, just because the industry is doing so well right now, uh, the, the greatness of comics uh, was definitely on display there, and um, I, you know, d- digitally and in print, um, just a, a lot of energy. I think there was a lot of energy there, or even though Comic-Con sapped all my energy. So. <laughs> Although, well, let's talk about the spectacle for a minute. Um, you guys definitely got a chance to see it. I get the impression that it was spread out more and further and extending its tentacles more into the community and further away from the Comic-Con. 
Well, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of off-sites. Um, I mean, in just the past two years, these two areas have kind of grown up that are um, huge off-sites. Warner Brothers has taken this whole area at the end of the convention center, between the convention center and the Hilton, and made this giant display. And this year they had balloons of the Teen Titan Go characters and um, Lego Batman and Superman, the Mystery Mobile from Scooby-Doo, and a Hobbit house made of Legos with a Lego Bofur, which was my favorite, actually. Um, and very very okay. impressive. I'm sorry, Kevin? Plus a booming DJ and food all day long. I mean, really, you, you could hang out there for the whole... Oh, I, I was never there when there was food. Had I known there was food, I would have been there right away. If there was ever one... I have two basic... Well, three. Three. There are three. There are uh, basic items for Comic-Con. Number one is wear comfortable shoes. Number two is never plan to get anything finished at the con because you'll never get it finished. And number three, if you see food, eat it. <laughs> well, that, you know, it's interesting because there's sort of satellite food. Even in, inside of the Hilton, uh, about 10 o'clock, you know, since there have been – they set up a little situation where you can get hamburgers, cheeseburgers – Actually, pretty good cold-cut sandwiches, a bunch of other stuff. We're really, actually, a reasonable price, and it's better than anything you can get inside of the convention center. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, only eating inside the convention center is for suckers, you know. So uh, unless and, you, you know, bring your food with you. Well, yes, but you know, Kate, you saved my life. I've I've said this in print, and uh, Kate packed this. Um, trail mix for me and i literally ate it every day <laughs> like i would be running from panel to panel just reaching into the bag and stuffing sunflower seeds into my mouth and uh it literally kate kate knew that i would need it and uh you know uh definitely the producer who uh prepares trail mix for her podcasters is definitely a goddess among humans so well, all i can say is i found that the best way to get work out of people is to feed them Yes. Um, <laughs> and I heartily recommend it to anyone. I understand. Um, yes. uh, you, you know, just to, to finish the thought that I was having, though, uh, there was also a giant interactive area outside Petco Park, which had booths yeah. for Marvel and DC. I never actually got over there when it was open, though. So, Calvin, okay. did you get over? Did you get to any of the offsites, Calvin? See the Smurfs off top of the Smurfs in the distance, but I didn't actually get over to to see those. What were they, but giant Smurfs? Really spreading all through the um, the the Gaslamp District, yeah. which like the Gaslamp District is sort of the doorway to the rest of San Diego. You know, starting at the convention center. So once you walked out there. I mean, that area at Fifth Avenue there was a, just a mosh pit from day yeah. one, the yeah. whole time. And then I, you, more events spread out through there. Go on. Oh, I think that um, one of the things is that just because it was so spread out, like even the the uh, compact area of off-sites was still would take quite a – it was a full day. It would be a full day just to walk around to all of the off-sites, you know, that was, and, and to get into them, you'd have to stand in line. There was a giant, there was a Dracula display outside the taco place, and every time I went by, I saw people standing in line to get in there. So I think there was a lot of people who didn't have badges necessarily, but, but still got pretty good experience just walking around outside. And, you know, I brought this up in my uh, con and wrap-up for the beat, but uh, supposedly groundbreaking is going to begin at the end of the year for a expansion of the convention center oh. which is badly needed because you know the con's been sold out for 10 years now uh and it just dawned on me like you can make this thing twice as big 
I think it's still going to sell out. <laughs> I mean, you're not suddenly going to be able to walk up and, and get in or, uh, you know, get into Hall H at a moment's notice. Uh, you know, people were sleeping out all uh, for three nights, Friday, Saturday and Sunday to get into Hall H. Like thousands of people were sleeping out. And I, I went and read some of the tweets. There's actually a Twitter feed called Hall H Line uh, that huh. monitored the status of the line and the sleepers, outers. Uh, the campers and you know people are like tweeting you know this is the greatest experience of my life i i slept out all night and uh now the supernatural panel is on and it's the greatest moment of my life and you know i'm not gonna <laughs> one of the things we coming back uh, one night walking past all the uh, hall age we were gratified actually to run into a kid that was camping out this night and actually talked a little bit about how much he was there for comics as well as for the movie theater so there was that little uh there, w- there was a little bit of, of, of takeaway from the uh, um, from one of the young people in the line I was really astonished at like how big the news and things coming out of hall H were for all kinds of fans of all kinds of things that were not even vaguely comic adjacent. Like, I mean, obviously I knew that they all had panels and things, but I sort of figured that it wouldn't be as big of a deal for say a Hannibal fan or something. Right. But what I found this year, and I think more this year than usual, I think because it was more theatrical than usual was in not even vaguely comics adjacent, like Avengers things, but all these other things like Dr. Who, the internet just imploded. Uh-huh. Over Comic Con. In fact, I would say it imploded more than the comics section, because right. the comics people, like, like, well, with our own announcements, um, the comics people know that you can't make an announcement during Comic Con unless it's amazing, or else everyone will lose you under the drift of stuff. Right. Whereas, you know, like the Doctor Who, Who fans in Britain were practically rioting on the internet, going, "Well, we can't get to San Diego. That's not fair to us." Everybody's seeing this stuff we're not seeing. This is prejudice toward Americans. God damn you, Americans. <laughs> wow. Um, and I was like, whoa, I wasn't expecting you guys to take it that much to heart. Um, so I think... Uh, 130 I think Hall H is, is being a bigger and bigger thing, even. Yeah. I couldn't imagine it would be bigger, but it is. Well, it's like you you, you hit the word uh, theatrical. I mean, I think that the panels, you know, on the Marvel panel, they had Loki come out or Tom Hiddleston as Loki dressed. And he did this whole call and response thing with the audience. And uh, I, I was a skeptic. I mean, I've been to Hall H a few times and nothing in there ever changed my life, really. But. Uh, you know, it was it was fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, if I could just breeze in, I might check out more panels there. But but I, I think I'm beginning to understand that it's a live event. It is theatrical. Uh, the studios and the, the, the TV shows are getting a lot more savvy about making things in there more unique and more not just a whole bunch of actors standing around making dumb jokes. Uh, you know, they're really they're really scripting them <laughs> a lot more. And uh, so that those people who did sleep out overnight are getting uh, what they feel is a fulfilling experience. So uh, it's not going away. <laughs> it's well, not look, going away. I have a word of note. I would say that if you are an East Coast fan and you like this kind of thing, you should come to New York Comic Con instead because they had almost as big names, pretty much as big stuff. And you could actually get in only standing in line half an hour before. Right, right. For now. I don't think they For let now. people sleep out at the Javits Center. No, they're not going to let you sleep out at the Javits. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, I, the, I say this all the time, but what really makes San Diego San Diego is that it's in San Diego. And it's just a very unique 
set up there where you have the convention center, you have a few hotels that are very close by. Uh, the weather is absolutely perfect. You have the when you get out, you have this gas lamp area where you can go hang out and get food. And uh, you know, New York, as much as I love it, just does not have that experience. That is true. It's a different thing. It's a different thing. But I'm just saying, like, if you're looking for your Hall H stuff, yes, this might yes. be a better bet. Yeah. <clears throat> Hey, let's talk a little bit, too, about Heidi's uh, Publishers Weekly panel because it was an outstanding one with an all-star group of panelists. Um, uh, what's next uh, for graphic novels and libraries? A follow-up to your feature in May, uh, just about how it's the hottest category going. Uh, but you had a great panel with uh, Eva Volan, um, uh, Karen Green, representing Academic Library, Scott Robbins from Toronto, uh, the artist representative was Dave Roman, and we had Josh Elder talking about uh, Comics Plus Library Edition, a really interesting new venture that's offering libraries a, a cloud-based paper checkout uh, digital comics e-lending service that, uh, you know, with the right, with a little luck, uh, it, it, that has, it's been a very interesting business model put together, could answer a lot of the problems. Uh, that we see in digital lending uh, um, and the conflict between publishers, right. uh, libraries over ebooks, over lending. Yeah. E well, I'm glad, Calvin. I'm glad you you thought the panel was uh, good. Be you know, I, it was three o'clock on Sunday, so I, I was happy it went off well. Uh, of course, with five smart people like that on it, there wasn't too much worries about that. But yeah, I, I wanted to highlight some of the things that came up when I was working on my article this year that seemed to be uh, we know library. Graphic novels are doing great in libraries, but there are still a couple of areas that are lagging behind adult collections. And as you say, e-lending is a big question mark, a big mystery for a lot of libraries and indeed a lot of publishers. But uh, I would predict, uh, I think that Josh's Comics Plus uh, is uh, definitely going to get this on the radar of a lot more people. But I would predict that in maybe not a year's time, but in two years' time, we're going to see digital lending uh, be a lot more established than it is now. I mean, that, that's kind of a no-brainer. But I think it'll be – a lot of people don't even know that such a thing exists. I think in two years' time, it'll be a lot more widespread. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. And it, it, obviously, it's it's growing really quickly in, in, in the prose world, also growing in, in, in the comics world. And once again, we're, we're seeing a snapshot of the technical – of the technical landscape, you know, at any time, you know, there can be some breakthrough that might make this a little bit easier. And even in what, what Josh is offering now looks to be uh, a software, and, and he's offering a, 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 a venture that offers access. Not right. So uh, you're not necessarily downloading this, these these ebooks to own or even to hold for a while. So it's it's uh, it's an interesting business model uh, at a time when the industry. <laughs> looking for something new right and even for uh for anyone listening out there who is like why digital blending what the heck I, I mean there's a lot of digital only comics you know so for li like bandit bandit well we'll be out in a print edition at the end of the year from dark horse but uh this eisner winning book uh you know if you're a librarian and you want to offer the eisner winners uh at this point you can't offer it unless you have some kind of digital lending system in place so i i mean as digital comics more original digital becomes more and more of a thing i mean this will become also more of a thing in libraries so you know it's a it's a, it's a rising issue I just want to mention just very quickly the manga uh, segment. Uh, obviously, um, um, uh, I had a meeting with uh, the executive team at, um, at Viz Media, uh, Ken Sasaki, the CEO, uh, Leila Acker, the uh, publishing director, Ken Hamrick, 
uh, and all, as well as the um, Mr. Gargan, this, the uh, CTO. Basically, it's just more information on stabilization in the manga market. Um, uh, uh, talk a little bit about Viz's aggressive uh, moves to for simultaneous uh, publication in, in Japanese and English, and of course the launch of Perfect Square, which is uh, obviously it's, it's Viz, so it's going to be manga, but they're really touting non-manga properties. It's a uh, children's publishing uh, comprehensive program. Look for uh, uh, stuff from the Federator's Bravest Warrior, uh, a series of graphic novels, as well as stuff about Ugly Dolls and um, and Hello Kitty. So uh, just a quick snapshot of okay. The- okay, I feel like we manga- should. Slow this down for a second and explain the perfect square thing to our listeners. Um, because I feel like that's sort of the biggest news coming out of Viz, is that they are completely reimagining and rebuilding, I don't know, redoing something, their children's line, as less exclusively manga property-centric and more toward a lot of American-based properties as well. And they're just renaming themselves and it's, it's going to be a whole new thing i don't know how new it's going to be but it it seems like they're going for something new with this so you know that's interesting to me yes it is yeah uh, uh, you know what i just want to throw in there i was also invited to be on uh the all-star podcast panel uh yeah. quite an honor for me because everybody else on there was pretty much a, a superstar of, of podcasting uh, uh John Sientras and uh, Jimmy Aquino and uh, one of the guys, of course I can't remember his name, so that's how much of a superstar he is, but uh, from the Thrilling Adventure Hour, which I know is a very popular kind of comedy podcast. And yeah. so anyway, I was very honored to be on the podcasting panel, and uh, they had mostly, uh, we talked about issues, uh, not so much podcasting, but you know, we got some nice, nice, uh, nice plaudits for this podcast. Uh, so you know, people in the audience or on the panel had actually heard it? Uh, a couple of people had a couple of people. Hey, had. I'll take that. I know I'll exactly, exactly. So you know, sometimes we think that we are doing this in a vacuum, but uh, people actually do listen to it. So uh, always good to know. And and you know, once again, I want to thank Kate. I hope you listen to our daily podcast from San Diego. So uh, just to plug that, we did daily, and they're all available up on the website now. So uh, they are all up on the website now uh, in one place. So if you haven't checked them out, take a listen. We have some interviews with some. Uh, key comics players at Comic Con. So, uh, so Kate, Kate, is there anything else that that you know we missed while we were there? Anything well, else? I, I kind of got the impression that aside from the Eisners and aside from you know a few things like Monkey Brain and Viz and things, that this was not really a year for ground shaking announcements from comic book people. Not that they didn't have a lot of great books at the convention. Not that they won't have a good year or haven't had a good year. You know, I found, and I love superhero comics. I mean, I know I hear sometimes from our listeners that they doubt that we like them. I'm here to tell you that I have a heavy superhero habit. You have no idea. Um, and True. I was just unthrilled by the announcements. I didn't dislike them. It just kind of felt like there was nothing that I really was like, wow, I gotta read that that I heard about coming out of the big two, or indeed anybody, really. I was just sort of like, oh, yeah, that sounds nice. Yeah, whatever. More Wolverine Origins. Yeah, sure, interesting, whatever. Well, you know, another announcement was that IDW is going to do Little Nemo and Slumberland comics. Uh, as, as my I own very ambiguous about that. I'm not oh. sure how I feel about that, you yeah. know? Like, Little Nemo's awesome, but I'm going to be like, how do you go back and go on Windsor McKay territory? I don't know. Yeah, well, well, it's like that sequel to I, Citizen Kane they're making. I think you're right, Kim. Mm-hmm. 
really, you know, there wasn't much coming out of uh, of DC or Marvel. Uh, and really, to us, I mean, to me, the biggest, the exciting things was hearing about this uh, Shigeru Mizuki um, history, uh, Japan, Japanese history, or, and hearing that Joe Sacco's writing fiction. To me, those were the big big announcements, and they were really exciting to me. But I know what you're saying, and I, and I think you're right. There there was a, a dearth, let's say, of of a little blockbuster. <laughs> I'm not sure that's a bad thing because, you know, to have your big stories buried under a flood of whatever, you know, I mean, it, one, it takes away from being able to announce things like right when you're ready to bring them to print so that you don't lose a momentum. And two, it, it, well, it loses momentum anyway. So I don't know this is a bad change, but it's definitely a change. Like even last year, there were a lot of big stories coming out of the con about this thing coming out or that thing coming out. And, well, I'm sure it doesn't, again, uh, help things that, you know, Image just front-loaded all their stuff coming out, like, a week or two before Con with Image Expo, but they're not alone. No, you know, it's just, yeah. it's just not a lot of stuff coming out of... No, the battle, listen, the battle of Comic-Con has been uh, fought, and Hall H won, I, yeah. you know? The battle of Comic-Con, media, you know, news blurbs, I should say. So I think yeah. comics companies are smart to, to hold back on the announcement. Yeah, I don't think it means that comics have lost a Comic-Con, but it has... It does mean that comics news buzz has lost at Comic Con. Yeah. Which is a different thing entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note. Yeah. Well, there is more to come for sure. At New York Comic Con. <laughs> and many, many other conventions because there's no shortage. Yes. And that is also another thing, just very quickly, is that I uh, can't get into San Diego? No problem. There is a Comic Con near you, whether it's Calgary or Seattle or Denver or Phoenix or. Uh, you know, uh, Detroit, Boston, Motor City, uh, you name it. There are Comic Cons all over North America, all over the world. They are getting bigger and bigger and bigger every Although, year. I will warn you to look it up on the internet and see pictures of what it was like the year before because make sure it's the kind of Comic Con you want. Yes. Because if you are looking for signings by wrestlers and you go to MoCA, you're going to have a problem. Or, you know, if you're going to go to a Wizard Con and you're going to expect to see XKCD, ain't going to happen. So, you know, do the research. But if you do the research, you'll find a con for you. Go you know where you can do that research. Go to publishersweekly.com slash comics. Heidi's written a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> new cons and uh, comics art festivals, and it will tell you all about it so you'll know. So if you're looking for wrestlers, you won't go to SBX. All right. Yes, yes. All right. Well, we did it again, team. Uh, team effort. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, uh, now to rehydrate completely, rest up. Calvin's on vacation and uh, more to come. And thanks. We'll see you soon. More to come. More to come. <laughs>